This is Joe Bob Briggs. And Darcy. And you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Happy Halloween, ghosts and ghouls, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. This October, in the spirit of Samhain, your horror hosts, Gilman Joel, Dr. Shock, and the Wolfman, will be putting aside our regular review format to take a nostalgic stroll down memory lane. In this episode, we bring you Horror Movie Podcast Goes Back to the Drive-In. All right, so this episode, we are going back to the drive-in, inspired by Joe Bob Briggs, of course, the title of the of the episode. Um, Dave didn't really have too many drive-in stories, so he will not be joining us for this episode. So we're each going to just tell some stories about, uh, you know, growing up and going to the drive-in. And I'm excited about doing that because I, I loved the drive-in as a kid. And, I you know, my earliest memories of the drive-in were mostly the treats. <laughs> For some reason, it was, I remember going with my aunt and she would pop a huge amount of popcorn in a brown paper like shopping bag. And there's something just like completely cemented in my memory of the butter soaking through that brown paper bag and and watching it as she prepared it at my grandparents' house before we went to the drive-in. And then um, just so many funny little childhood memories of being at the drive-in with my family, which I'm sure we could, we could talk about some of those. But the years that really cemented my love for the drive-in were my teen years. And because those were all about trying to sneak into the drive-in and do rambunctious things at the drive-in. And we were, we were a little bit crazy. Um, you know, because of the monster squad and there's this the great scene where the father and son are, I think you're eating hamburgers and sitting on the roof of their house and they live next door to the drive-in movie theater and they can see the screen from the roof. That's so appealed to me. And then one day in high school, we realized, oh, you can see the drive-in from this park <laughs> right by the drive-in theater. So we would go down to that park and watch movies over the fence that we normally weren't old enough to get into and that was always fun you know there were also the different types of drive-ins they're the ones that have the thing that hangs on your window and then there were the radio ones that you could tune in and if man if you could get to a drive-in theater where you could actually just tune into the radio from your car or from a little hand radio and watch the movie to me that was uh the highlight but we would do you know stupid stuff where you know they would charge by the car or by the number of people rather than the car load. And so we would get a bunch of people to hide in the trunk and then all pour out once we got to our parking spots. And uh, when we got a little bit older, um, like just after high school, I had a friend who had a truck and he would put a couch into the bed of his truck and a full barbecue grill in the bed of his truck. 
and we would go into the drive-in and unload that stuff and we would sit on a couch comfortably and grill so we definitely took advantage every advantage of the drive-in movie theater possible in college when it was just about closing down um, one of my very good friends worked at a drive-in his mom was the manager and so that's kind of my last memory of the drive-in before the recent comeback of the drive-in was going and see my friend working at the uh, hot dog stand inside the drive-in theater and his mom was the manager and she would later once that drive-in closed become the manager of the multiplex at the local mall but um yeah i don't know there's so many of my memories are tied directly to the drive-in some movie specific but most of them just these shenanigans that we would get into more than anything else yeah i i uh can relate i have a ton of drive-in stories connected to myself, connected to people uh, I love, connected to people I've worked at in other places. Like when I worked at a movie theater, the manager there had actually been a manager at a drive-in for a number of years in the early to mid eighties. And my wife actually was telling me not that long ago that when one of her memories, her best memories of a drive-in was being a kid. And I think she was in New Jersey at this time. And you brought up the Monster Squad thing. They weren't on their roof, but I guess from wherever their home, apartment, whatever it was, wherever it was located, they could see the screen of the drive-in. So she actually remembers hmm. sitting out there with her dad watching, I don't remember what the movie was, but watching a movie. And I don't think they had sound. <laughs> so I don't think they could pick up the sound. Because <laughs> presumably this would have been, I'm guessing, the early 80s. So I know they had the speaker boxes and most drive-ins uh, at that time. And I don't know at what yeah. point they started doing the radio band uh, with with uh, sound, but because I, I know that was at least a feature by the 90s, because when I would go frequently in high school, like yourself, that's we would use those more so than the speaker boxes typically. So, mm -hmm. uh, but so she had that experience, which I always thought was really cool. And, you know, if you don't mind me just completely waxing nostalgic here, uh, Wolfman, Please. I, I honestly- that's the whole idea yeah let's I, do it i guess that is the point of this particular <laughs> this particular episode that's a good point <laughs> it, the whole point is nostalgia so uh but you know drive-ins for me are i think i've made no no uh bones and yes pun intended about my love for horror hosts and how just obs weirdly obsessed i am with them drive-ins for me are up there and i don't know if it's just like i have this fascination with sort of odd sometimes macabre americana you know i i just i so i think that's what horror hosts fall in for me but then drive-ins i don't know there's just something about them there's just something about this simplicity of the design and the idea and that you know when i was in high school because this will prove how much of a social life i didn't have i actually on my own would go to the uh the old winter haven library i was i went to winter haven high school and it was in central florida and i would go to the library and get that's where i got that joe bob briggs book that i had him sign uh but it's also mm -hmm. where i found a book on the history of drive-ins and i learned about richard hollingshead he was an inventor and he created the first drive-in in i think it was in trenton new jersey i think I, I'm pulling this from my brain pan, so forgive me, folks, if I'm wrong on that. But 1933. So that's like the first drive-in. And I, I just remember reading about all of it. I ended up getting a coffee table book that the these uh, this couple had made that where they'd gone around and taken pictures and created the history and learning about people who had actually lived in the screen. So if, like the screen was made like a wall. It was concrete. There were people sometimes, depending on the drive-in, that would actually live in there with their families as they uh, took care of the drive-in, which, by the way, uh, dream 
for me personally <laughs> to have my my wife would not be down for it at all i don't even know my kids would but like to live in a drive-in movie theater screen by you know by, by you know day and then run the drive-in by night that was always just like that <laughs> those weird dream things so but in probably my first drive-in experience like where i actually went to it was probably middle school late middle school like eighth grade or so uh i'd gone to live with my dad in winter haven and there was a drive-in there called the Havendale Drive-In. And it was, there's a road between Auburndale, Florida and Winter Haven, Florida, hence Havendale. And the Havendale <laughs> Drive-In was the one he had gone to in high school. It was still there. And it was cool because because the thing about Winter Haven is, it's actually, I, I don't know if it still technically has this many, but it was always known as like the land of a hundred lakes. So there's all these little lakes and some big lakes, you know, all over this one little relatively small town. And there was a lake that backed up to the Havendale drive-in and I think it might be Lake Fox again if anybody's local and hearing that and I'm completely wrong I apologize but they would my dad would tell me they would sometimes have a boat and they would just you know take your little John boat or whatever and go up to the shoreline and you could sit there and watch the movie like that was a like people wouldn't just come in with cars they would come in with their boats which I always thought was kind of a cool idea that's really cool yeah yeah and that was the theater where I spent sort of my prime driving experiences basically my whole high school career and I remember that's where I went and saw things like Sleepwalkers, which is, I, I know most people don't love that movie, but I do. And I think a part of it's because I saw it like three times at the drive-in and I just, it was something about it, seeing that movie and it's, you know, sort of cheese ball nature at a drive-in. It just always stuck with me. I remember I went after our football season was over. I played football, though not very well, but I did technically play and I went with one of my fellow teammates actually the guy who ended up introducing me to my what would be my future wife on a blind date but that's another story and we went and sat in his pickup truck because you mentioned the pickup truck thing and we did like a triple feature they had like some kind of triple feature i don't know why we thought hey that was the last game of the season let's go to the drive-in and, and hang out for you know, six seven hours but six we did. hours yeah exactly <laughs> sitting in his not so air-conditioned uh although i guess technically that would have been probably what november it wasn't probably that hot so looking back on it but it was like this really old truck and uh, i just remember sitting there getting the popcorn and the soda and just watching the movies and i don't know if that's i feel like that may have been the triple feature where they had like unlawful entry with kurt russell and madeline stowe and there was like yeah they weren't it was like a special triple feature but it was a triple feature and i just remember thinking that was cool um and then i just i just loved them i always loved them and then once i went off to college and and got a little older i didn't get to go nearly as much because there weren't any when i was in orlando or at least not that i was aware of and when I came back, I just never made it a priority. So several years go by, I end up in that mid, like now for 1996 to on 97, 98, that window is when I worked at a movie theater. And one of the managers I worked with, his name was Hal. He's since passed away, but he had been in the movie business, like the, the theater side of it for years. And he had told me these stories about being manager at a drive-in and this would have been like from 81, 82, I'm guessing, all the way up through about 85. And his coolest story, I thought, was he remembered getting a call. He was a projectionist as well as the manager of it at some point. And he got a call from this guy whose movie they had just delivered. And he was the director and he wanted to make sure they had gotten it. It was kind of checking up on everybody because I guess, well, isn't that four walling where you go from theater to theater and make sure... You know, you're, you're I guess you, you're you more controlling the distribution of your movie. Isn't that what that's called for? Yeah. OK, you, you, it's basically you, you're essentially renting out the theaters yourself okay. and then you're hoping to fill them up and 
make okay, a well, profit. I guess so technically he probably wasn't four walling then. He was more or less, I guess, just checking up on his movie <laughs> that was being distributed, presumably to primarily drivers <laughs> at that point. Anyway, long story short, turned out it was Frank Hindenlauter and it was Basket Case. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and I realized when we when I covered Basket Case, uh, one of our uh, earlier episodes when we did the New York State of Grime, I didn't. I don't think I shared that story. So I always just loved that. That was so cool. The idea you're just you know putting a movie together. You know the, the when you get the reels in, you have to take the the, the splicer and you tape them. Cause that's what I had to do at the theater I was at. You know to put them on the uh, platter system. And he's sitting there putting it together. He gets his phone call. It's like, ah, oh, this is Frank Hennel. Lottery. Just want to make sure you got Basket Case. All the prints were okay. Blah blah blah. It's like what? <laughs> now then, I'm sure it was like a whatever. You know, he didn't think anything about it. But now just knowing what we know, it's pretty cool. So um, but I was so into drive ins, Josh. <laughs> this is, again, I realize as I say these things out loud, it's like people are probably getting this very clear picture of me and like my, my, my lack of what they like to call the social skills. But um, proving how much my wife loves me, I went back. I had gone to college. I left college to to sort of pursue my little indie filmmaking dream. Uh, long story short, that didn't work out as planned. And then I went back to college. So I graduated with my bachelor's, so a little later than most people, I was like 28, but my wife threw my grad party for me with a handful of friends. We actually did it at the, at the Silver Moon Drive-In, which is in Lakeland. So that then brings me to the Silver Moon, which is actually the one to this day that I go to on a regular, on a relatively regular basis, or at least when we can. It is, it was built in 1948. It is in Lakeland, Florida, and it has two screens. And the Original screen is there, or at least some variation of because I think I hit by like a tornado in the 50s, uh, the early 50s, and they rebuilt it. But then they brought in another screen in 1985. So now it's a two screener and it's just this really cool slice of nostalgia. Like when you go there, I have some pictures if you want, Josh, I could send you that we could maybe, I don't know if you want to put them in the post or at least share them on Twitter or something. Um, you know, that it, it's just it's just a really cool, the marquee outside looks of the time. Uh, just walking through the place. And I had the good fortune around 2007, it was before my second son was born. I remember I got to know a little bit the manager at the time, who again, I'm noticing a pattern here. He has since passed. Um, His name was Bruce Lacoste. He was a great guy. And he was kind enough to let me, I came there with my video camera and this was like one of those little mini DV, you know, SD Sony cams. And just I wanted to just kind of just interview these guys and talk to them and just, you know, I didn't know if I was going to do anything with it at the time, but I was like, why sure. not? So I started doing it and he took me around, showed me everything. I got to know very loose, a little bit, the owner, Harold Spears, who had actually worked for Floyd Theaters. I don't know if you had Floyd Theaters where over out in the out west, but in the southeast, I know they were a big deal. I remember seeing the Floyd Theater logo. Um, I, I don't think I've heard of it. Yeah, it, it was a pretty big deal in the southeast. So he had worked for them and they owned the silver moon. They had actually, the original owner was a guy, I think his name was uh, IQ Mize or something like that. And he was the guy I believe who had built it. And then he was bought out. If I'm under, I may have my history wrong here, but believe was bought out by Floyd theaters, which Harold Spears worked for. And then Harold Spears ended up getting that drive in as well as uh, I think a couple other ones. So, but when I went and interviewed him in 2007, Harold was still running it. He was still, he was an owner who was still there. He, he could have long since retired. I believe he pretty much was there, you know, at least on a weekly basis up close to when he passed away. And he was pretty old when he passed away. So, um, but it was just cool because I got to talk to him. They, they let me go in the office. So actually their office was the screen. The main screen is 
this big concrete wall, but they actually, if you're looking at it like from above, it almost looks like it kind of rounds off at the back. And in there is where the office was. And so I got to go in there and kind of look, you know, they showed me around and then Bruce had taken me around and the original projection booth is still there. And it's smack dab in the middle of the parking lot facing the wall screen. And it's, it's almost like it's like, three feet or so above the earth and you actually he took me down in it you have you open this door it's like you go down these steps that look like they're carved into limestone or something i mean it's just really creepy and dungeon like (laughs) so you you go down and in when we went in there there was actually this pile of the speakers for the drive-in, just a pile of things. I guess they'd cut them loose and they were trying to clear out space for, you know, so more people could park in different areas. And long story short on that one, he ended up giving me one, which I still have to this day, which I love, prized possession. And uh, we actually, they had the original, at least one of the original projectors in the booth from 1948. It was still sitting there. So, which I thought was amazing. That's cool. Yeah. And so he ended up taking me through. We looked at like the, the newer concession stand that they had built, which is sort of in between. It's like a big, it's like a decent sized building in between both screens. Uh, and then the projection booth is up there now. And then you, like I said, have the other screen, which is more of a basic type of screen. It looks almost like a bill, like a blank billboard. You know, it's like that. And that one actually, it's funny because I believe that's the one that on the other side of it is a, tr- a train track. So as you're watching your movie, invariably <laughs> a train goes roaring past. Uh, but, you know, that's one of the charms of going <laughs> to the drive-in. Yeah. That, that truly just seems like, I don't think that it was true of any of the drive-in theaters that I went to, but that just sounds like it should be. Like, that's what should happen at a drive-in theater is a train should go, go by in the middle of the movie. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, I think that's the thing is that to me, what I love about it is is that those elements, those elements that make it not so perfect. Like You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like you're sitting in a lawn chair or like you said, a couch. In, in the outdoors, you know, it's just there's something about that aesthetic and that experience that to me, I don't know, I find it charming and endearing. I guess if you're somebody who wants state of the art everything and, and you and you do not want any kind of uh, atmospheric or environmental interruption. <laughs> Probably not your jam. I get that. This is, this is definitely an analog experience. It's very <laughs> analog. Like I'm also the kind of person that if given a camera, I'd actually prefer shooting film. So there you go. Yeah, I think the sad thing for me was that I had loved the drive-in so much growing up, but they they kind of faded away at a period of time in my life where I just wasn't kind of conscious of it. Sure. I didn't really realize that they were going away forever. Yeah, at, at a I get that. Point. Yeah, I get that. And then all of a sudden they were just all gone. Mm-hmm. And I was devastated. <laughs> you know, and I, you would hear about other people who had them in their town. I mean, there was one in Salt Lake, which I finally, thanks to this uh, COVID Corona apocalypse, actually went and went to the Redwood Drive-In, which is a lovely drive-in theater in Salt Lake City that I could have been going to all these years and taking my kids to. But I'm, I'm glad we finally did it. But you know, there's a uh, the Film Junk podcast, which I have always loved. It was one of my first podcast listens. Um, and Jay Chill was on our show. He was the guy who directed the Cursed Film series for Shutter. Mm-hmm. They would always talk on their podcast about the drive-in theater that they would go to in their area. And so I, I would just. I was so jealous listening to them talk about it because they'd always talk about how they went and saw the latest horror movie or whatever at the drive-in and just like, Oh, what a great 
location to be able to go to that. And actually, I don't know if you ever ended up hearing that interview we did with Jay, but he had he made a short film about an urban legend that supposedly happened at their drive-in theater um, where a tornado hit the screen during the screening of Twister oh. at their local drive-in theater. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And so the documentary is an investigation as to the truthfulness of that urban legend. And so if people do want to check that out, that's just on Jay's website at jchill.com slash twisted. Um, it's just like 15 minutes. It's totally worth watching. He's got a great style. If you saw cursed films, you kind of mm. get a sense of what his style is like, but yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I love that. Pr- I, mean, I would awesome. love it if it was sitting there and it was happening, but I love the yeah. concept. That's great. Going to the drive-in. It wasn't like the number one way I watched movies, but it was my favorite way to watch movies. And then kind of coming back after spending two years in Belgium and the Netherlands to realize, Oh, these are kind of a thing of the past. I think it wasn't any movie necessarily worth, um, you know, writing home about, but I do believe it was either Disney's Hercules or, um, the what is the llama one that David Spade? Oh yeah. Emperor's new groove. Yeah, it was one of those was the last movie I ever saw at a drive-in theater. Which makes me a so, little that makes me a little sad. <laughs> yeah, it was sad. But then, you know, again, now I've had that experience again. So I got to take my kids. We were in San Luis Obispo, California, and they have an amazing theater there as well. There's just a classic theater called the Sunset Drive-In. And uh, that was the first time I was able to take my kids. That was probably seven or eight six or seven years ago um, when World War Z came out. And the funny thing about that theater is they would pair kids movies with adult movies (laughs) and it was seemed really weird, but actually worked out perfectly. And maybe that was the whole idea is that my kids sat there and watched planes um, fire and rescue or whatever it was <laughs> and had a great time. We got him a pizza and, you know, with our friends who are local to San Luis Obispo. And so there was like four kids sitting on the um, hood of a car, eating a pizza out of the box and just like perfect childhood kind of experience that they had never had before. And uh, they watched planes fire and rescue. And then they all, and then they all fell asleep in the backs of the car. And we watched world war Z with the adults. And that was a great drive in theater experience. And I thought if that's the only one that the kids ever have, that will be worth it. But thankfully um, we discovered the Redwood drive in during the pandemic and have had occasion to go up there and see some movies. And so to come back and be able to watch Indiana Jones and the Lost crusade with my kids on a big screen, you know, I, I think I mentioned this on the show, but the first time I saw that on a big screen was with my dopey elementary school friends. And then I got to watch it again with my dopey elementary school kids. <laughs> and it was just wonderful. You know, That's it was great. just the dream come true, That's but awesome. I don't know. I know there are people who don't necessarily love the drive-in. I just don't quite get it. I and mean, maybe it's, you know, there's so much nostalgia tied to all these memories that I talk about of sneaking in and doing all this stuff. I think that is definitely a part of it. One of the scariest moments ever at the drive-in that I remember is I was sitting in the back seat of, of uh, my aunt's car with my cousins, with two cousins, and my mom and my aunt were in the front seat. So not like a great viewing experience, <laughs> you know, it's pretty crowded viewing experience out the, out the windshield, but, um, 
you know, it's the end of Free Willy. And it's supposed to be like this majestic final moment where Willie slowly in slow motion comes out of the water and goes over the boy's head and is finally free. Spoiler alert for free Willie. <laughs> and for some reason, I don't know if they weren't paying attention or what, but my aunt and my mom, it was like a jump scare for them. They both screamed and <laughs> hugged each other, and it was like it was like you know Jaws, but it was it wasn't. It was just like this beautiful slow motion free willy <laughs> moment, and they're clasping onto each other, screaming, and me and my cousin are just in the back seat laughing hysterically <laughs> at the ridiculousness yeah. of our moms. Yes, that was one of my my favorite moments. But also, and not, you know, most of them aren't horror related, so I apologize to the audience for that, but. You know, like uh, I remember seeing The Princess Bride with my mom in in a drive-in theater in San Diego. We had this little hatchback, and um, you know, I, you know, so in that case, she would you know reverse into the spot, pop the hatchback, and would cuddle up back there with blankets and pillows, and it was a fun little you know cozy little nest to watch a movie in. And I remember sitting there watching the princess bride with Fred Savage, who um, I looked up to at the time <laughs> because of the wonder years. I thought he was the best. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, just sitting there watching his grandpa tell him a, you know, a bedtime story I'm sitting there with my mom. And it was just, you know, it's like a really special memory for me. And so I think that definitely plays a role in my love for the drive-in. Yeah, that that's awesome. And, and I think you said the word, which is, cozy there's something about yeah. it that is cozy uh even when it's florida because see our our drive-ins are open year-round so uh, unlike mm-hmm. up north or out west i'm sure at certain times of year they're like ah, we got to shut it down here oh, yeah they stay open all year round so for instance you think oh it's september that should be fine to go see a movie, except for the part where it's, you know, 100% humidity and 85 degrees at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> so you're like, oh, yeah, not so much. But even then, even at those moments, there's still something cozy and charming about it. I definitely prefer it when it cools off. Yeah, pretty much from later October on, it's better, in my opinion. But um, yeah, it's... And I don't know what it is. I guess it's interesting because you brought up the idea like a lot of your memories are not horror movie related specifically. But I do feel like drive-ins, at least the way I know I think about them, there is a direct correlation to horror because obviously there was so many horror films, B-movies, cult films, exploitation, all that stuff that came out of the drive-in movie circuit because Mm – Back then, you know, that was a lot of times the only places they could get to play it other than grind houses, which were primarily in a big city. Uh, if you were not in big cities, this was sort of the closest you'd get to the, a lot of those movies, uh, like Basket Case, for instance. Yeah. So I guess from my perspective, even if the movie you watched was Princess Bride or Free Willy, I don't know. There's something there. And like to think like and I know this is probably a, a, a stretch for a lot of people, but this is how I think of it. If I am using one of the speaker boxes, let's say. And it's one of the old speaker boxes that's been there at least since the 70s. I just think to myself, (laughs) how many movies, movies that ended up at the time, no one had any clue what they were, but they became these classics, these movies that shaped us. And they 
piped through this exact speaker box. You know what I mean? There's just something yeah. about that to me that's almost magical. I just, I love that so much. But to tie it to horror movies, just so I, I make sure I do that, take a full circle. Uh, I recently, because of the COVID thing, we hadn't gone to our Silver Moon in a while. It had been a while. They actually have every weekend, they do a swap shop flea market type thing. And they had opened mm-hmm. that back up. And we actually, that was one of the first things we did. It wasn't too busy. And there was, it was obviously it's out in the open. So they're like, okay, you know, wear our masks. We'll go check that out. So we had gone and done that, but it had been a while since we had gone. And then they had they had closed down for a very short period of time towards when early on with COVID. But then they opened back up and they started showing old movies. And one of the movies they showed was Psycho, the 1960 Psycho. And my kids hadn't yeah. seen it yet. And I felt like, OK, my youngest is going to be 11. My oldest is 13 going on 14. And my middle one is 12 going on 13. I'm like, you know what? I saw that movie when I was 11. First time I saw it hotel room in Tennessee. I was with my dad and he went out to go get something. I'm flipping the channels and I'm like, oh, what's this? <laughs> and, I, and I watched a good chunk of Psycho for the first time by myself in a hotel at 11. So I'm thinking, no sweat. They'll dig this. And I've shown them a couple other Hitchcock movies and they like like the birds and they love that. So I'm thinking, we'll watch this. So we take them. I, my kids are seeing Psycho at a drive-in. I think this is this is amazing. Like, so cool. It's so awesome, right? And mm-hmm. I'm conflicted, Josh. I got to be honest with you. I'm very conflicted. Because on one hand, there's a part of me that feels bad. Because my oldest was totally cool with it. Like, he's in that sweet spot of an age, you know, where I don't... It freaked him out, but it didn't, like, traumatize him. But it, <laughs> as it turns out, my other two kids, apparently a little more sensitive than I gave him credit for. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't say who, but let's just say there may have been tears involved and people having a hard time falling asleep because the yeah. idea, because because here's the thing, the other beautiful part, Josh, I think I feel like you will so appreciate this. None of them, except for Max, my oldest, knew the twist. None of them knew that Norman. Wow. So like the yeah. idea that I was able to keep and he even only kind of knew it. And he said he wasn't he for what surprised him was none of them also knew that uh, Janet Lee bought it in the first 20 minutes. Like they totally were like when that happened, they got like they were like, what? I think to, to hear them react <laughs> like audiences would have reacted. And because even I think I knew like watching that at 11. I once I realized what it was. That's was probably why I watched it. I think even I knew she died. Like I don't think that was like a big shock to me, but like they didn't know about yeah. her at all. And then Max kind of knew about Norman, I think, because he had read because I've given him my old mad magazines and stuff. So I think he probably read a spoof or a parody. So I think he put two and two together. But I'm proud of him. He didn't say a word. He didn't say nothing to him. So the other two had no idea. But again, that's awesome on one hand. But the other hand it was very effective. <laughs> and, and so there's a part of me that finds it so amazing and endearing and wonderful that my kids are still innocent enough that they were deeply and profoundly disturbed by Psycho. <laughs> I think that's excellent. Oh, yeah. But then, so I know it'll always stick with them, right? I know as they get older, they'll have a different appreciation for it. But then there is that dad part of me that's like, oh, crud. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, honey, stay, <laughs> stay in bed. I'll go deal with it. Okay. <laughs> One of those kind of moments. Uh, but anyway, so we did that. And then they, October 1st, did something that was just awesome. And I wish I could have stayed for the whole thing, but I think I've, I've made no secret about it. I know definitely on Retro Movie Geek, Daryl and Peter both give me lots of static for my inability to stay up past like 930 at night, which is hilarious because I used to be one of those people who would stay up till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning just watching movies by myself. I just, for whatever reason, can't do it anymore. So they were going to do a From Dusk Till Dawn. You ready for this? I, I, have I told you about this yet? 
what they did at our hmm. okay oh man you're gonna you're gonna your mind's gonna blow they did from dusk till dawn one screen universal monster movies they did dracula frankenstein wolfman frankenstein versus the wolfman Whoa. and creature from the black lagoon from dusk till dawn Whoa. other side was the more adult one like you were talking about started with carpenter's the thing I believe they showed American Werewolf. I think they had us on there, and I can't remember what the other two were. And I remember the only problem I had with that side wasn't that they showed any one of those movies. It's just there was something about mixing like the 80s, early 80s ones with like the modern ones that felt weird to me. I was like, <laughs> either, either go all in on one or the other. Like, don't do not do that. Don't do the weird <laughs> thematic mixing together. I don't know. That bothered me. But that aside, um, I, I guess... That I, you know, I, I, so I knew the thing was playing over there, and obviously there, the, there was a deep, profound part of me that was like, I could see the thing at the drive-in. Come on! But then I think, okay, but you're also a dad with kids who <laughs> probably your you'll, your wife will not be thrilled with you if you take them to see that. So we got tickets. Uh, it was like twenty five bucks a car load. So if you had like five or six people in your car, it works out to be you know five or less dollars per person. And we did we did the Universal side, and my intent at the time was, okay, we're going to stay for at least two, maybe three of the universal movies well unfortunately they didn't even start dracula till like almost nine o'clock at night and even though that's not a long movie it was like by the time it was over and everything i was like oh uh, yeah this is and and i the night before i had not gotten any sleep because my wife had gotten food poisoning there's this whole thing story behind it but the point is i was sad but i i'm still glad we did it so we saw dracula and i am also very proud of my boys because we sat there they, they were kind of laying on a sheet you know and kind of it was actually cool enough for florida it was like in the upper 60s which for florida is like freezing cold and so they were like had these little blankets you know and they were kind of cuddled up in front of the we were very close to the screen and there were some people who kept laughing and just like in an obnoxious way about dracula because yeah. yeah. you know it's 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 very uh, what do you call it arch when it's just that over the top sure. you know, it's it's dracula they were getting so annoyed. They're like, why do they keep laughing? This isn't funny. They were like old men. <laughs> They're mad because these teenagers or whoever it was were mocking Dracula. I was so proud of them. And and so, but Josh, you would have, dude, it was amazing what they did. So we get in there and I think, okay, they're just going to show these movies. No, 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 no. They made this a whole like old school spooky show thing where when you pulled in because they have they you actually what's good because this is why i think our drive-in still doing well is they converted to over to digital projection so they could still keep showing modern movies and such but they ended up do, like when you first pull in the sun was still up but it was starting to come down and you could see on the screen they had left side was in green and it said regular parking with an arrow the right side of the screen with an arrow was in was red and it said scare parking and they had hired <laughs> actors or people that worked there, whatever, to put on zombie makeup. And obviously, because of COVID and everything, they weren't like coming too close to people. It wasn't like they were actually like doing like the Halloween Horror Nights thing where they come into your face or anything like that. They were far enough away. But the idea was if you parked your car on the scare side, they might come up and just kind of like look in the window at you, just be staring at you, stuff like that. It was so cool, dude. The concession stand, they had fog machines going, props and decorations everywhere they'd made this car look like it had wrecked into the concession stand and there was like cinder blocks on it and there was a skeleton driving it and they <laughs> they and then so the movie starts and they okay we're just go right to the movies 
Oh, no, 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 no. They had hired, I guess, I'm assuming they hired a company and I looked them up. They're called, I think it's Cause, C-O-S Effects. And I don't know if they're out of Orlando, Tampa. Looks like it might be a husband and wife team. And they do special effects and they do local shows and all sorts of stuff. But they were horror hosts. They actually had a horror host introducing Wow. The movie. Dude, they went all out. So this was this locally produced. It actually looked really good. And so like he's this horror host. He was doing the campy thing. He like, has one eyeball hanging out. His name was, I think, Melvin <laughs> uh, Cad Daver. So I'll be, uh, I could get it. And then and then she he had a sidekick and her, it was his quote unquote scream queen Trixie Treat the Candy Girl. And so it was the idea he was the projectionist that was the undead and she was the uh, uh Candy girl, but so she looked like that 1950, you know, like where they'd have the little, you know, like almost like you'd see like in a baseball game where they walk around giving out the treats. But the way they had done her makeup, she looked like a China doll who had like all these cracks in her face. Like she was a broken China doll. She looked awesome. And so they introduced the movie. They had some campy one liners. But even before our movie begins, they had shot a short film at the Silver Moon like a little horror film. Wow. And dude, it, That's so cool. it was so cool. And it was actually really well done. It was obviously a very low budget, like locally, regionally made kind of thing where the people who worked there made it. But I was shocked at the quality. Like it was really good. And it was about this urban legend of the projectionist in 1978. By the way, they kept making references to movies like Halloween and stuff like that. So I was very thrilled with that. <laughs> and this uh, girl who works at the drive-in is there with the, the old guy projectionist who's retiring. It's Halloween night and he's retiring and they're telling this other young guy who works there. They're trying to scare him with this whole story about how in 1978 the projectionist that had worked there just disappeared and all this weird stuff happened. And so it just keeps escalating and escalating. My, my one child would not look at the screen because he was convinced we were on the wrong side and they were going to show us something he couldn't handle. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like covering his face. And so, but they, they did a little twist at the end so they left it as to be continued and they completed it after Dragon ended it was like all out brother i was it was awesome like i like <laughs> i told my wife it's like next year because the, 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 it just i have to add this part of the story so like i said my wife had had food poisoning which was horrible and the poor the poor woman i mean she just like almost the whole night just every 30 minutes is giving getting up and and just not well it was, <sighs> dude it was awful but i had like that was the night before and i had this whole plan i was going to bed like at nine o'clock at night I was going to get like intense, an insane amount of sleep. Cause I think even the kids fall asleep, right? I could at least get through the wolf, man. I can make it till like one in the morning. I could totally do this. And I like, I'm next day I'm operating like an hour and a half. I'm like, Oh no, why? <laughs> like I was expecting to feel this way the day after the drive-in <laughs> not before. So, but that's the only reason why. So we made it through Dracula, which I will say, I don't know what it is. I've never seen Dracula on the big screen before. And I look Dracula. I know for a lot of people, isn't the best universal. It's honestly not my favorite. I feel like it is kind of sl slower than the other ones in parts. And it is a play. It's based on a play. But Lugosi is so iconic. And I always forget how freaking cre creepy Dwight Fry's Renfield is. Like he oh, yeah. is legit to the point where, again, one of my children afterwards was like, whole thing with and they've seen it before they saw it years ago they're like Renfield is really scary and I think what it's seeing him on a yeah. big screen like that and, the, and the, by the way I'll, I'll send you the picture full moon in the background like <laughs> above the screen it's so perfect it was so perfect I think the actual the whole thing was called howl at the moon was the the whole event so anyway all of that to say 
I love that place. I love the Silver Moon. If you're in the ever in the Central Florida Lakeland area, it is 100% worth your time. They're open like seven days a week, 365 to my knowledge. Um, definitely should check them out. But uh, yeah, it, it, the drive-in will never die. I, I am happy that I believe that throughout COVID, some of the highest grossing theaters, which of course it makes total sense, especially when the regular ones were closed, were all drive-ins. So I, I, yeah. I know there's been talk of people trying to find, you know, basically almost build, you know, build up even small regional drive-ins again to like give people something to go do. Yeah, I love that. And I would highly recommend if you've never been to a drive-in theater, talking obviously to our listeners, not, not you, that you give it a try during this time because who knows how much longer they'll be around. You will not regret it. I promise you. Bring some treats. If you've got access to a truck and a mattress, that is a great setup to park that in reverse mm-hmm. and and sit on a mattress in the bed in the bed of a truck but even honestly like i don't mind just sitting forward facing in a regular sedan that's how i went this last time i love it and you can have some great free willy moments even in a regular car it's good times but um those of you who haven't been for a while take advantage of this opportunity to see it because who knows i mean the hunt and the invisible man were in the drive-in Jeez, man, go see those movies. Who knows when we're going to get a chance to to do this again? It's just exciting. I we should have ended it on your story, Joel, because that is the most amazing drive-in story I've ever heard. <laughs> but um, you reminded me of one last story I wanted to tell. Well, you reminded me of so many things because there's so many great drive-in moments, mm-hmm. right? Like you talked about the boat drive-in. That that is a thing down in Utah Lake in this area that they started doing in this new like rich home development area down by the lake. Um, when I was a kid, they had the swim-in theater, and uh, the my they would do it at the wave pool at the local water park, and they would you know they would turn off the wave pool at the end of the day and then show jaws or whatever it was like water-based movies but jaws is the one i clearly remember watching there so everyone's in this water floating on inner tubes watching jaws and there's idiot kids swimming around under the water grabbing people's ankles and stuff the whole movie it's fantastic (laughs) that was so much fun and uh and then my kids we went and saw moana the swimming movie uh at our local rec center when that movie came out that was fun too but the real story that you reminded me of when you talked about the porcelain doll and urban legends. I just had to, I just had to bring this one up because there's a famous ghost story at the Wiley uh, drive-in. And I think it's from the fifties that it began. And this woman just went to the ladies restroom. I believe it was down in the basements of the, of the drive-in theater and she was going to the restroom. And all of a sudden she realizes there's someone else in there where there hadn't been, just seconds earlier so she was kind of surprised and she looked over and in front of the mirror there was this woman with long black hair brushing her hair in front of the mirror and she kind of approached her to wash her hands and the lady turned and she had no face it was just smooth like porcelain people described it and her head's kind of cocked to the side and it had a very kind of ringu feel to it and the way it's described and so um there's a guy who tells ghost stories in that area. His name is Lopaka Kapanui. And he talks about, you know, most people will say, well, yeah, there were so many Japanese and Chinese immigrants who came to Hawaii. They brought their ghost stories with them. The thing I love about Lopaka is he says they brought their ghosts with them. 
<laughs> they didn't bring their ghost stories. They brought their ghosts with them. And so you have all of these ghosts of all these people who have emigrated to Hawaii over the years, the Portuguese. And so there are all these fantastic ghost stories. And that is specifically like a monster that exists in Japanese folk tales or oral traditions and it was there at the wildlife drive-in and a lot of people saw it after that time and they have since torn down the drive-in theater and built apartments and then people have said well they've seen them in that apartment building since that time or they saw it at the, at the mall next door up down the street wow. and so uh yeah the faceless lady that's like a that's a classic that's so cool that's a creepy story i love that Anyway, well, I think this has been fun. Yes. So thanks to everyone for joining us as we took a trip down memory lane. We would love to hear about your drive-in movie stories, be they Universal Monster or Free Willy, whatever the case may be. Um, I, I, You know, the guy who runs Vinegar Syndrome, I, I don't know if he's the main guy, but I follow him on Twitter. His name's Brad. He lives in your same area. Yes, I, I, I'm aware of that. Yeah, somebody else told me that. Yeah, and he posted a picture the same night that you did of going to Psycho. So I was like, oh, you guys should hang out. You guys need to be buddies and get us some yeah. vinegar syndrome stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. My, my friend Terry uh, is a big vin- vinegar syndrome fan as well. And he uh, he actually made me. I think you, you, all, you both. I think both of you. It's just funny how, yeah, people can be in the exact same town as you. And you're like, oh, I had no idea. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a big town, I guess. Yeah. Uh, eh. <laughs> Not that big. Not that big. No, uh, I did. I did want to just one little thing, and you can. I feel like you've you've ended on the perfect notes. If you don't want to include this, that's fine. But I just wanted to add real quick. Um, if you go to a drive-in and you haven't been or haven't been in a long time, just a quick word to the wise. Yes. If you're going to run your battery to listen to the radio, it will run down, and you will be stuck there. So bring jumper cables, <laughs> or or do what we do now, which is you can get those you know little cheapo radios. And, you know, get some C batteries for it or whatever. And they'll last oh, you at least through that movie, if not through a few of them. So that would be my recommendation if you're going to go or use a speaker box. But do be mindful to always check your car. Like what I'll usually do about every 15, 20 minutes, I'd start it again just to make sure <laughs> that we're not having an issue. Yeah. I feel like that's just one of those little PSAs that people should be aware of. Very important. Very important. We hope we hope people go to the drive-in. We want to hear from you if you do. Tell us your best stories from the past yes. or your most recent. We'd be interested in both. Absolutely. Hey there, horror fans. It's time to thank our spooky sponsor, Shudder.com, and invite you to take part in an otherworldly offer. Hey, horror fans, this is Wolfman. I want to tell you about the world's premier streaming service for horror, thriller, and supernatural content. That is Shudder, and it's spooky 24-7, 365. Just some recent Shudder releases, in case you're not up on it. Released a little less than a month ago, it is Veratica. That is directed by Glenn Danzig himself of Danzig and Misfits fame. It is an utterly outrageous anthology of horror stories culled from Danzig's own long-running comic book series. Two that just came out at the beginning of October, Scare Me and The Cleansing Hour. The power is out, the fire is lit. In the dark of a Catskills cabin, tensions rise as two strangers tell each other scary stories. Sharp, stylish, and surprising horror comedy Scare Me 
is streaming now on Shudder. And in the cleansing hour, two guys who live stream hoax exorcisms for profit are disturbed to find that their latest subject has actually been possessed by a real demon. And then coming to Shudder October 29th, May the Devil Take You Too. That's the Indonesian film originally released there in 2018. Directed by Timo Tijanto, the guy who directed Killers famously, as well as The Night Comes For Us. And another fun thing I just want to remind people of is the Gulag that is streaming all through the month of October. It's kind of like those uh, Yule Logs that, videos that you can watch of just a fireplace burning uh, for the month of December. But this has a beautiful jack-o'-lantern and some nice decorations, and it's a very pleasant background atmosphere to add a lot of Halloween to your space. If, uh, well, whether or not you've got the decorations yourself. So here's the ad. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense on Shudder for just $5.99 per month or $56.99 per year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment on the planet. It's why everybody these days is just calling it the Netflix for horror. Frankly, it's better than the Netflix for horror. Let's, we should even drop that because it's just the best streaming service available, in my opinion. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all of your favorite devices like Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. For my money, one of my favorite films that's come out this year still is Blood Quantum. It's going to make my top ten list at the end of the year. It's not like mind-blowing type of thing you've never seen before when it comes to the zombie genre but what you have to realize is it's this indigenous take on zombies that we've never seen before and so it really is bringing something totally fresh even though the trappings of the zombie genre may feel familiar you're actually seeing something that's never been on film before it's really one of the very few first nation indigenous american horror films that's ever existed personally i bought that one on blu-ray but it is streaming of course on shutter so get started streaming now to try Shutter free for 30 days. Go to Shutter.com and use the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. That will turn your normal 7-day trial into a 30-day free trial. That helps us out, keeps the show going. We'd really appreciate it, and I promise you won't regret it. There's no strings attached. Cancel any time. This is something you want to try if you haven't done it yet. And what better time to do it than the Halloween season? That's it for this episode. We'd like to invite you to get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can also find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter at horrormoviecast. And please subscribe and leave a review for Horror Movie Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And don't forget to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com slash store. We'd like to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for creating our Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you'll be back for our next episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs> <laughs>